0: I'm Mike Gorman and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on everybody? If you're watching live, welcome. If you're listening on Monday, maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, welcome. As usual, I'm your boy Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my homie Mr. Greg Manakis, rocking his Love Williams hoodie. I was going back to say t-shirt, but it's not a t-shirt, it's got that hood on there. I'm rocking my Celtics new era gear. We're feeling fresh, man. And I'll tell you why we're feeling fresh. Because the Celtics just pulled out a big win, a big win. They they built a lead and magically, to, to, to my amazement, they held on to the lead. Not only did they hold on, they decimated. Before we do that, Greg, my guy, what's going on, bro?
1: This is one of those days where, like, you're proud to be a Celtics fan. There are so many times I feel like I've come onto the pod because I normally only do Sundays, and for whatever reason, I feel like it's always at the end of like a negative week or right after a bad game. So this is really nice for me to be able to just come in and be positive, um, just like be proud to rock my live Williams hoodie. You can be proud to rock your Celtics gear. And let's go, man. Like how often do we just get to to you know savor the fact that Jason Tatum just dropped 51, 10, and 7?
0: please repeat that stat line, please please.
1: So it's it's 51, like five, like five digits and then another one in the single digits, 51. 10 rebounds so that's a double double and seven assists almost a triple double and on the broadcast they mentioned that he's now the only person other than Larry Bird to have 50 10 and 5 in a game in a Celtics uniform
0: and I think he's the only one to have a 50 10 and above five game as well I think Bird did it with five assists twice but Mm -hmm. nobody ever done what Tatum just put himself in a new different like hamphlet of like I'm now the guy to be and he's done this before we've seen him go we've seen him go like this before but I think that when you've had the shooting slot that Tatum's had you've had the negativity from the fan base that Tatum kind of probably didn't see much of it because I know these guys like to kind of keep themselves away from that as much as possible but I feel like at certain points you, there's stuff that you just can't avoid right you know you've oh, got to go. sure and I think that Tatum's had a rough ride this season I think well Celtics fans in general have had a rough ride this season <laughs> But this was a way to come out and remind everybody, like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jason Tatum, dude. Like, there's times where I'm gonna take over a game, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. I was sitting there watching the game. I don't know if you agree, but it got to about, it got to about 35 points, and I'm sitting there thinking, do you know, we're not far from February, and that's usually about when Tatum starts to ramp that heat up. He's always been a notoriously slow starter to the season. I was like, maybe this is just his way of ramping things up, and we're just getting it pre-All-Star break rather than post-All-Star break. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is. I mean, it's crossed my mind. He just made it look so effortless, like like he hasn't struggled at all this year.
1: Yeah, I know, man. He He's just amazing. When he gets going downhill like he was doing, you know, when he's in high pick and roll and he can kind of snake action, dri- drive that shoulder into a big man's chest and just finish through them, all that work he's been doing in the weight room to play through his shoulders this year, it's paying off right now. And um, it was just it paid off today. It hadn't been paying off the last few games. But, I mean, even, even in his shooting slump, though, I feel like Tatum, you know, kind of like dirty little secret, was that if he was shooting well, he would have been, like, unstoppable, right? Because he was getting to the rack pretty much whenever he wanted against Portland. Um, he struggled a little bit against the Hornets just because he struggles, I think, against super, super athletic teams like the Hornets and, like, the Toronto Raptors, teams like that that just have, like, switchable length. But tonight, man, it was just – I mean, he was locked in from the very beginning of the game, and when his shot – looks as focused as it is like with me with Tatum and we've we've talked about this before it's almost like he gets too lackadaisical with his shot mechanics and he came in to the game tonight and he was just like I'm gonna get back to the basics like super wide base on my three pointer I'm really gonna snap that wrist off there's not gonna be any little bit of hitch that we've kind of been seeing in those mechanics this year there was no hitch in that shot tonight it was just butter man all night straight butter
0: <laughs> do the say butter again do it again butter
1: yeah, straight
0: butter. Yeah, the accent kind of just slipped out for a moment. You went back. Well, to it's a...
1: it's it's not it's not the Boston accent. It's it's just the B U T T A. Like that's the yeah, only way to butter. say that. It was so smooth, was straight, straight butter, butter dude. I'm this is the Boston you. Boston accent. It's like, dude, Tatum was
0: butter tonight, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you though, for real, man, like. When I was watching it, and I, I tweeted this out as well, I, the one concern I had, and I want to talk about it because I feel like it was a legitimate concern and I'm happy I got proved incorrect about that concern, was I was like, man, usually when the Celtics find success like this from free early, they'll start living or dying by that point line. Mm-hmm. Come what may, those the, they're going to let it fly. And I, I'm cool with that to a certain extent, but this year, you know, you're down, I think they're what, 22nd, 24th in three-point percentage as a team. And I'm like, if you're going to let it fly, we just need to be careful that as we as in like fans, we need to be careful that we don't kind of become accustomed to them hitting these threes consistently throughout the game because a, a, a judging by the, the season thus far, it, there was a very large percentage of a chance that things were going to go cold sooner or later. What I liked was when it came to the fourth quarter, everything seemed to be a little bit more based around the rim. It was get downhill, get to the rim drive finish around like you know just hit singles one after another and I think if the Celtics can kind of lean on that a bit more moving forward like hey when the three-point shots there build your lead the way you want to play but then to maintain that lead we're going to adjust and we're going to start pressuring the rim and I think that that's something where things kind of went wrong in against Portland maybe you know I felt like there was too many jump shots not enough stuff actions going on to get you downhill and then in this game, that adjustment was great. I think Udoka had a good game plan coming in. Uh, I liked how I liked his timeouts as well. I liked when he called them whenever it felt like the Celtics were getting a little bit too ISO heavy. Uh, I think that he was calling the timeouts to kind of stop that trend. And then you know, I mean, when Tatum's hurt, you just put the ball in his hands. So what, what more could you want from the guy?
1: Yeah, and we've been really hard on Ime all year, and I think that when we have the full complement of players on the roster. It's, it's easier to kind of like really get a feel for what his rotation is and what he wants it to be. And, you know, he was kind of leaning on Enos Freedom a lot over the past couple of weeks for whatever reason. I don't know why, honestly. But tonight, like against the, against the Blazers, he went the first nine minutes of the first quarter, he went double big. He had Rob Williams and Al Horford on the court for nine straight minutes. And tonight he went away from Horford right at the six-minute mark. You know, and he also um, sat. I think it was he put Horford and J.B. to the bench early. I think those are the first two guys on the bench, and then he brought in Grant and uh, Jay Rich. So you know, and he was he seemed to be pairing um, pairing Tatum and Rob Williams a lot tonight. He's still trying to keep uh, Marcus Martin, and Dennis Schroeder kind of off the court at this. Um, you know, they're not on the court at the same time. So he's definitely trying to figure out his rotation. I I really liked his patterns of substitutions tonight. I didn't understand the patterns last game against Portland. Like I mentioned the double big lineup for the first nine minutes. And he also played Schroeder for the first 12. So like he seemingly really liked what Schroeder was doing the first 12. And then he didn't play Schroeder in the second quarter. So it was like, why did you play him 12 minutes in a row and then not play him (laughs) in the second quarter? Like, did you love what he was doing or did you hate what he was doing? Like, I didn't get it at all. And tonight and today it was just like, it was probably a lot easier for him to do it because when Tatum is playing at the MVP level, like it doesn't really matter what you do because when Tatum's on the court and he's scorching hot like that, it makes everybody's job a lot easier.
0: Yeah, and I think that the one thing that's kind of going to go underlooked or underappreciated is how well the ball moved. I think that Tatum will obviously be the headline grabber. He'll be the guy that everybody's talking about tomorrow or later this evening. But the ball was it was popping. It was crisp passes, and I, what I liked was like when Horford or or Rob were the guys initiating those passes above the break. They were flowing straight into ball screens. There was a possession. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the first quarter. Al Horford had the ball kicked out to the to the left side of the floor, set a screen. It broke down. They fed it back to Horford. He redirected it over to the right wing, like the right wing, and went and reset a ball screen. Uh, I think it Tatum who got it came over and just hit the three. But it was just Horford's willingness to kind of initiate an action, set the screen. If it breaks down, relocate back to the top of the arc, get the ball again, initiate a second side action, reset a screen, and keep things flowing. And obviously, once Tatum got some space, Al Horford started to roll. Just to seal like, out any, like get a box out and make sure he was in place for a rebound. So I think the ball movement, the off ball movement, they were both really crisp in this game. And that, to me, that provided Tatum with a little bit extra space. I mean, I know there were some shots where there was just a hand in his face and he just drained them anyway. But to get him going early, I do feel like uh, Horford was setting some solid screens and the ball movement was putting him in position to get some really good open looks. And it was just clicking for him.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you were still able to watch the game like on an analytical level cuz today for me it was just straight fanboy. <laughs> like the whole game I was just like I felt like a little kid again. Like every time Tatum took a shot, I you know, I got butterflies in my stomach and I was just like laughing like a maniac on my couch. Um so like The way you're describing things, like oh yeah, like we we did move the ball really well, but in the moment when I'm watching the game, I'm just like oh god, I love Jason Tatum. Isn't isn't it fun to be able to root for Jason Tatum when he's not in his own head and when his shot mechanics just look buttery smooth? It was just great, man. It was so nice, especially after in a season full of horrible losses where you don't think can get can get any worse. After that Portland game, I was like, do I even want to watch the Celtics anymore? Like honestly, I was like. I was talking to my buddy who, you know, he, he doesn't, um, have a podcast or anything like that. Just a friend of mine. And I was like, man, honestly, I don't know if I didn't do two podcasts about the Celtics. Would I, would I actually sit down on Sunday and watch this game because I have other things that I could be doing with my life? You know what I mean? And I almost said, I don't want to watch the Celtics anymore because I just get sad <laughs> like, when I watch them. I just get so sad when I watch them. So today it was just so nice to be happy, man, and just see them dominate a team that they should dominate. And they did, man. And it, they took Washington's soul. Like early in, the, early in the season, Washington really gave it to us. And one thing I'm wondering now that I'm thinking about it, like where was Montrezl Harrell tonight? I feel like he dominated us in those first two games. Yeah, he was he on the it. injury report? No, he played, man. He played um quickly. That he had that one play where Rob oh, yeah, blocked him at the rim and then um Ime used that challenge early in the early in the first half. And we
0: didn't see him afterwards, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I don't think we saw him in the second half, which is weird because I feel like Trez is one of those guys that historically gives us problems with his but um just. The his Celtics mode. run
0: a, a pick and roll heavy offense now that we're a lot more isolated at the beginning mm. of the season. If you want to attack Trez, you run pick and roll offense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there's a yeah. way to avoid and I think that that's where the Celtics need to, they've kind of gotten to throughout the year, and it's been a rough road, man. But I think that they're understanding now who they can attack on pick and rolls, who they need to attack on, like, a bit more of a creative pick and roll, like who they need to attack by setting ram screens or bat screens or whatever it may be, and who they just need to go iso and blow by. There was a really good possession by the the Wizards, actually, with uh, Denny Aldia as he uh, blew by... Uh, I think he blew by Al Horford in the fourth, right? Did you see that? Mm -hmm. Crossed him up and then just blew Mm -hmm. by. And when I was watching it, I was like, that's knowing your personnel, right? That's knowing who you're going to need to call the ball screen for and who you know you can beat after dribble. We saw Marcus Smart do it a little bit in the second quarter as well. I felt like Smart was getting favorable switches and he was like, right, I know I can beat this guy after dribble. Let me do. Paying attention to the scouting report. But that's another guy, right? Smart, how much do you think his return to the lineup kind of... Influenced the the way the Celtics played. Like, because he had a couple of, like, he had that one wrap around the back, um, pass that went off a guy's foot as he charged into him. I was like, that was a stupid play. He had another (laughs) one where he just threw the pass. I was like, that was a stupid play. He had like an underarmed hook shot on the move. I was like, that was a stupid play. But Mm -hmm. they were so few and far between. Like, I can count three stupid plays. He had the ball in his hand a bunch. He was the starting guard. I think that, you know, he was, um, he was quite. I'd say reliable and kind of an instigator in how he, how the ball moved at speed. Um, I don't think he kind of took too many stupid shots. I can think of one, possibly two. The rest of them were all in the flow of the offense. He was go screening and getting himself open. And then defensively, Marcus Smart does what Marcus Smart does. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think that him coming back to the, to the lineup, like in my head, I'm like, man, I don't think these guys would have lost against Portland. If Smart had been there. Like, I think he had that impact.
1: For sure. Let, let's start there because the the two games that we just lost against the Hornets and the Trailblazers, Marcus Smart's out in both of those games. Robert Williams misses the game against the Hornets. I think Robert Williams is our most important player against teams like the Charlotte Hornets because they're undersized and they're all really good athletes. But when you have The biggest, baddest athlete on the court in Robert Williams, I think they struggle against guys like him. So, not having Rob against the Hornets, I texted Will before the game when Rob, because Rob, you know, congratulations, had his baby. Um, I was just like, I don't think we're going to win tonight because I think Rob's our most important player against the Hornets, right? So, if we have Rob in that game and Marcus in that game, I think we probably win, man. I think we're a better team than the Hornets when we're at full strength. Against the Trailblazers, Marcus is so, so important. So, because like the last seven minutes of that game against the Trailblazers, you know, obviously, we didn't score a bucket. We've been talking about that. Um, it's been all over Twitter, all over the internet. And I think Marcus is one of those guys that, when nobody else is scoring, Marcus is going to like push the pace and get a get a bucket in transition, or just make a heady play, make a great defensive play. Where maybe maybe he gets a steal and a layup. You know, like I I think against a team like Portland, it's important for Marcus to be on the court. And just in general, I think it's important for Marcus to be on the court for this team. Earlier in the season, um, when we had that bad stretch where we lost to the Timberwolves and a couple other games right around the same time, Marcus was also out in that stretch. You know, and it was like, man, like we keep losing these games. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't lose. And it's like, oh, when you look at the end of the day, Marcus Smart was not on the court for like five of our worst losses of the season, possibly. So, you know, Marcus coming back to me, I think is hugely important. Whether or not you're somebody that believes Marcus is going to be the long-term point guard of the team or not. The truth is when Marcus currently is on the floor the Celtics are a better bas- basketball team and we saw that tonight. He he made an impact right from the beginning of the game. He just makes heady plays. One thing that I really like about Marcus is his ability to be patient at the three-point line. You know, he'll he'll shot fake, he'll read the defense, he'll he does that little side shovel pass a lot and he just skips it one more pass over right when he sees a defender commit to him at the three-point line. And he, you know, Marcus will shoot it, even though he's not a great shooter. He will shoot it, and teams still run at him for whatever reason. So if teams are running at him, he can then make passes off of that. And I think Marcus was awesome tonight, other than those three stupid plays. And real thing, real quick, you see, have you ever seen you you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, of course. You say stupid exactly like Sansa Stark says stupid. I feel like <laughs> like, shh, I, don't like have, you guys, <laughs> I don't have. I don't have. am just a stupid that. girl. Like this is like this like shh. In, in your stupid and her stupid that are very similar. Maybe I I've talk- got a
0: slight lisp. <laughs> lisp. Maybe. It's possible. Stupid. It's possible. Stupid. Yeah, dude, I know. I kind of let the S roll a little bit first. It's I like, like it, cool. though. I it's like, like, it. like um, I was doing call whip from Family Guy earlier. It's <laughs> kind of the same thing, right? Call yeah. whip. Stupid. <laughs> but yeah, it was a stupid play. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, there was times where Marcus Smart made stupid plays. But he was coming back off seven game layoff. And overall, he was incredibly oh, games, impactful. Huh? it was incredibly impactful i think he played really really well and i know there's going to be people that are against marcus smart and feel like marcus smart needs to be traded and if the package is right fine make the trade i'm not saying that he's an untouchable guy but what i'm saying is you could see uh just the eye test alone you could see a visible difference in the way the ball moved the way the defense was organized the way the offense kind of set themselves up and stuck to a game plan you could see a visible difference with marcus smart back in that rotation I think that he does hold people accountable as like a a floor leader. Uh, One of the guys that I think moving on who that had a bit of a bad game. And in my opinion, it was one of the worst games he's had since Jason Tatum returned from his COVID absence was Jalen Brown. I thought he was quite rough defensively. I don't think he was good. I um, I put this in a group chat that I mean, I'm of the belief that Jalen Brown is a phenomenal play finisher. He's the guy. If you're, you know, if you can get, if you can set him free from above the arc and he's rolling to the rim or you've got him on a cut or you're in transition, JB's your guy. That's who needs the ball in his hand when you're trying to operate with a bit of pace and a little bit of pressure to your game. What he's not good at is initiating offense or, you know, I know there's been games where he's had eight, nine assists, but they're the exception, not the rule. We've got a large sample size of data to work from. I think that, um, You know, you don't want him being the guy that needs to create something off a pick and roll, then get off the ball and find a shooting pocket and then get the ball back. And uh, I felt like he was doing that a little bit too much in this game rather than finding his spots and then waiting to get the catch and shoot or get the rip-through drive. So I think that, again, I don't want to say he had a bad game. The Celtics just blew out the, the Wizards. Um, I wish it was the Warriors that blew out, but they blew out the Wizards. So it is what it is. But it just didn't feel like one of his better games this season.
1: Yeah, he was struggling, man. And yeah. one thing with JB, like, you know, as you were just saying, he's really good at being a play finisher and he's really good at finishing on like second side actions and like driving closeouts and things like that. And he's really good at driving to the basket when he, but it's when he has a lane. But Jalen Brown also probably his biggest strengths is also one of his greatest weaknesses because he's like, I can get to the basket whenever I want. It's like, yeah, but you usually finish when you have a lane. And when you try and, like, create a lane, like, there's nothing in front of you. There's just, like, concrete, and you just try to run through the concrete. That's when you end up getting the ball stripped from you. And that's one thing I'm noticing a lot out of JB lately. Some, like, subpar defenders are able to get their hands on his drives because when he's driving against a set defense, there's just hands everywhere because – there's just a set defense there's everybody's there you know so i think jb kind of needs to like get back to the basics and just like drive when it's opportunistic for him and when he has an advantage and not just try and like create an advantage and tonight was um you know a regression for him honestly i thought he was awful the whole game i thought he was terrible um you know he picked up that third foul On that duck in, I think it was Harold actually who ducked in. Um, JB was just standing there in the middle of the paint, just super nonchalant. And then Harold noticed that JB wasn't paying attention, so he just drove his hip into JB's hip, got positioning, and, and got a basket. Um, and that, that's something that JB needs to get better at, man. His off-ball defense has notoriously been terrible over over. Uh, I wouldn't say terrible, but it it comes and goes, right? And his off-ball defense comes and goes. When he's locked in, he's locked in. But it's for him, it's a focus thing. And it happened in the game the other night against Portland, right? That last play against Covington, where I think Covington, I don't know if he like took one step or pretended like he was driving baseline, but Jalen just like, you know, he he cut down to the block, and then Covington gets the game winning three. Um, But, yeah, JB was bad tonight. Straight up, he was bad tonight. Um, I thought that if Tatum... Tatum doesn't score 51 points and the game's closer. Maybe there's more of a narrative that, like, what's wrong with JB? Why is he struggling so much? Like, is he hurt? Is there something wrong with his knee? There's no lift. You know, all these different things that you could talk about with Jalen Brown. But hopefully it was just an off game for him. And, um, you know, he can come back stronger and learn from his mistakes. Because as as he said earlier in the year, he's watching a lot of tape. And I think this is one of those games where he's going to need to go back and see what went wrong for him.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that the other thing you need to um, kind of like, as, like try and compartmentalize is like, hey, he had to take a slight step back because Tatum was so hot. Every mm. possession that Brown took a shot was taken out of the, ha- the hands of the guy that was dominating. So there was times where I felt like Brown was a little overpassive, but I completely understood why but then I felt like there was times where he was forcing it, especially when Tatum wasn't on the floor and Brown was the go-to. That's a good point. I was like, you're you're forcing this a little bit. I'd much rather see him, like I said, get off the ball, go find a shooting pocket, trust the ball's going to find you once you get there, or trust there's going to be an action to spring you free around that shooting pocket and the ball will find you, rather than just trying to force things off the dribble and force a little bit of rim pressure. So I get it. I think that, you know, there's going to be games where Brown gets hot and Tatum has to become a slightly more passive version of himself to allow Brown to to flourish. And I know that everybody's like, "Hey, we want games where Jalen and Jalen and Jason go for thirty each," and those all happen. But when one guy's on on course for a fifty piece, and the other one is clearly started the game a little bit cold and he's struggling a little bit, you have to take that one step back for the for the good of the team. Forget the narratives that are going to flow afterwards. I think that that was a a good selfless move by Brown while he was sharing the floor with Taser. But as you say, that third foul was bad. It was the reason that we saw um, Smart and Schroeder minutes during this game. Otherwise, they Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been there at all, you know? That was just kind of... You you kind of tied him his hands there. And then, you know, the only thing I could really say that was bad, like where I'm like coaching-wise, in my head, I'm like, you kinda left the guys out there that, that little bit too long. You know, <laughs> just like, a little bit, just a yeah, little bit. Like three minutes left, two minutes left, you're 30 odd points up, and now you're putting the guys. Like, dude, you could have pulled these guys after like five minutes.
1: Yeah, I know. I actually tweeted that out. I was like, all right, Ime, like it's time, man. Like I, I didn't I didn't want to nitpick Ime in this because I thought he had a really good game coaching. But at the end of the game, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, someone's going to sprain an ankle. Like, at least get Neesmith hasn't played. Like, get him six minutes of action right now. Like, what's going on? Pritchard hadn't played up until that point. Romy only had had that one stint. Um, But another guy that I wanted to talk about real quick, because I actually think he's had a great season, but has struggled a lot lately, and that's uh, Josh Richardson. I I don't know what's going on with Jay Rich lately, but you know, all, all of the positive things that he was bringing to the table up until about two weeks ago, I haven't really seen him, you know, and we've, I I haven't heard many people talking about how Jay Rich is struggling. And my buddy that I was texting with the other day, he was just like, man, what's wrong? What's wrong with Richardson? And I was like, oh yeah, like he is kind of stinking up the joint lately huh isn't he and tonight I I don't think it was any different he was really really struggling um the heady plays that he was making earlier in the season he's just like kind of not been in the right spot on offense a lot lately like not holding corners not cutting at the right time like not driving gaps when he should drive gaps over driving and over penetrating when he shouldn't um he's a guy that like he kind of needs to watch out man because with with Romeo and um nipping at his heels on some level you know maybe not nipping at his heels but they're you know they're alive <laughs> so yeah he has to be careful that, that there's still warm bodies on the bench and they could take his minutes if he may uh if he may decides to go you know playing the playing the youth movement but Richardson you know what are your thoughts on him man because he to me he's kind of falling off a cliff a little bit
0: yeah I mean in my opinion I've said this all season I genuinely believe that Josh Richardson is the team's best cutter I think he understands when to cut. He understands where to cut, how to cut, blah, blah, blah. And there's been a few games now where I'm kind of, because when Richardson makes a world place cut, you see the space create, the space he creates kind of just open up. Right, it's usually on the wing, it's usually a 45 cut, and you yes. just see this pocket of shooting space either above the three or just inside in that long mid range. That it just opens, and you're like, Man, that was an excellent cut. Does somebody needs to capitalize on this space that is created by dragging the defender with him, or whatever it may be? I haven't really felt that way over the last two or three games. I do think you know he's doing a little bit more on ball, and I feel like he's forcing things a little bit. Maybe he feels like, hey, you know, I'm one of the head guys off the bench. I need to do this because we're struggling right now as a three-point shooting team. I'm one of the better mid-range shooters on the team. I'm also one of the guys that's more likely to beat someone after dribble and get to the rim. So I do feel like he's probably overcompensating for the team's issues and just trying to be as impactful and as useful of a guy to them as possible. But sometimes when you try and do too much, you end up doing you end up doing too little. Do you know what I mean? Like you're trying to do everything and you end up giving absolutely nothing. I I liked him in his off-ball cutter role where when he does get on board, it's because he's relocated. He's flowing into an action. So defense is already rotating and he can use his speed and length to attack. I like him in that role. As a guy that's initiating a lot of the offense when I feel like, I feel like that's when things go wrong for him. When he's like, you're down to eight seconds on the clock. So the, the first side actions broke down it swung over to Richardson on the second side action and people are like right we need you to make, make something happen I just don't feel like that's his game with such a little amount of time to work I think Richardson needs more time to kind of scan the floor observe what's going on and read and react over a period of time but I don't think he's been awful but he definitely hasn't been the same guy that he was earlier in the season hopefully it's just like a little I mean look we're talking about these guys like they're terrible. Like Tatum just went, what was it, like three games had scoring a three and all of a sudden just mm-hmm. absolutely lit guys up like Scorched Earth, Shang Tsung, your soul is mine type of performance, <laughs> dude. Like he, he went Mortal Kombat. Somebody, I, I'm sure somebody should have shouted finish him after that one dunk, you know, when he was swinging on the rim.
1: Right. I thought that he was going to just- get attacked. You know, that's something that I've really appreciated about NBA refs. And I don't, I don't give NBA refs like any credit, but they used to call like hanging on the rim, a technical foul all the time back in the day. And they don't do that anymore. So shout out to NBA refs. I feel like that's one thing that I can find as a positive. I'm looking at this box score. One guy that I feel like we have not talked about in this game is Grant Williams. Um, So Grant played 22 minutes tonight. He was three for six uh, from the field, two for three from three. He had seven rebounds. But one thing that I really appreciated about Grant and I've seen a lot more out of him lately is he was guarding Brad Beal tonight for a little bit, man. And I feel like Emei's tasking him with guarding twos and and wing creators a little bit more maybe some guys that rely on being more powerful than than the average guard it's like you know what Grant can move his feet and he can really get under people's skin just by being a big body like Devin Booker I feel like Grant is a guy and when we played the Suns Um, Grant guarded him a little bit and he just like kind of because he can move his feet, you know, he, he reminds me of Newman from Seinfeld. He's just like kind of like a bigger, a bigger guy, but he has really quick, nimble feet. And, and he's, he's able to slide his feet and, and just be big. And when you run into Grant's chest, it's tough to move him. So I w- I'm happy to see this new development and Grant Williams and how he's being utilized on the defensive end. No longer is he being asked to guard like big men, but he's actually being asked to guard like bigger guards, which is an interesting uh, change there.
0: Yeah, he's not being asked to go big men. He's being asked to go bigger men. You see what yeah. I did there? See what so I did <laughs> there? No, seriously, though, I think that, you know, if we were going to do um, Celtics awards for the season at this very moment in time, Grant Williams is most improved, clearly. Like, mm. there's no, there's no way, there's no universe where you can be like, hold on, what about player X? No, dude, Grant Williams wins that. For Celtics only, wins it hands down. What I would say is, like, his defense has been great. I like it, as you said, he moves his feet well. He's a solid, he's a strong guy. But it's not just that for me. It's he, I, I feel like sometimes if you watch his body language, he's also kind of soldiering that defense. He's tent marshalling guys like, yo, you need to move there, let's switch. And he's v- really vocal. His press conferences have felt the same. Like he's trying to become more of this, not a leadership role, but like a very vocal presence within that locker room and I feel like that's translating onto the floor defensively I also think the defense with um you know if you go like um what what units could you see out there I mean you probably we've probably seen in this game I can't I haven't looked at the lineup data yet like this is we're recording straight after the game um you know Marcus Smart Jaden Jason Grant Rob. I feel like that unit is so switchable that you can feel comfortable about switching Grant onto a two or onto a Mm -hmm. three You know, and you can feel good about Rub being switched onto the perimeter guard and the guard because if they do blow by Rub, then you're going to have Grant sliding over or Tate and rotating over. So I think that while Grant's improved, he's also a product of being around guys that can cover for him if he does get beat. And that kind of makes it easier, uh, like for fans watching, to be like, oh, well, you know, maybe he funneled him towards the rotating defender. Unless you go back and watch that same play four or five times, it's really difficult to pinpoint where the breakdown came. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I do think like he's definitely improved in that area. I also like that one play. I think it was in the fourth, might have been in the third, where um he got the ruck and drove it to the rim, put the ball on the floor, showed he could uh, attack a closeout, and then went and got the finish. We've seen him do that a couple of times this season now, where he's kind of drove the lane himself and got the finish. And I think that's a that's a development within himself. You know, started the season as a catch and shoot guy. I don't want to see him dribbling the rock too much because that's just not his game. But if you can attack a closeout like that, and with your size and strength and shoulder width, you should be able to kind of at least like boulder your way to the rim in like a 90s style and get a decent finish. I think that's an option for him. And I like like Anthony
1: Mason style.
0: Yeah, elbows out, shoulders swinging like you mm-hmm. know proper like um like that. Have you ever seen that Defense Lab martial art? Have you seen that? no Uh, it's i don't i don't know if it's legit or not i've never done it myself but it's very much like you get your elbows you hold your head hold your ears and you just swing your elbows to defend yourself like in circular motions and triangular motions i'm like that's what grant needs to do on his way to the rim, dude just go and do a few hours of this defense lab and then just come in there throwing elbows everywhere man hoping and just get to the rim. old school street 90s style man
1: (laughs) i was gonna say that it kind of looks like me trying to dance
0: I don't try and dance. I'm a, I'm a head nodder. Same. But yeah. Same. Yeah. Just scan the room.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm yeah. a head nodder as well. So if I'm um, looking at the box score, man, there's one, one more guy that we haven't really talked about. And that's my guy, Rob Williams. The um, guy. My guy. He had, so he the played 31 guy. minutes, four for six from the field, eight rebounds, four assists, two blocks. Uh, what were your, what are your takeaways on Rob tonight? Just kind of. I feel like they need
0: to utilize him. Yeah, I feel like they need to utilize him a little bit more around, like on the offense in terms of an offensive finisher. But this was a solid game for Rob. You know, good screens, good rolls caused havoc on the rim. Even though his putbacks weren't falling tonight, he he seemed Mm -hmm. to be there or thereabouts every time a ball kind of got an unfriendly roll. Rob was battling Uh, defense. He got a couple of blocks. He rotated well, protected the rim well. I don't think he'd done anything stupid stupid um <laughs> i don't think there's anything bad there uh look man for us like rob's one of these guys now where i'm just kind of like that was a rob williams performance it's rare where i'm like man he's been exceptional because i've come to expect high level from him yeah. so unless he's dropping a triple double with 10 rebounds 10 assists and 35 points i'm gonna be like yeah it's just a rob williams game man it's what you expect high level production for sure yeah i i, I mean he missed
1: two lobs tonight there were two lobs Indeed. that he actually did not complete which was really really surprising to me and when he doesn't complete a lob now I'm just shocked cuz I feel like it's guaranteed buckets anytime we do it but I, you know what I really like about how Imei is using him is it seems like out of timeouts and off of dead balls like anytime they're in a huddle like they're tr- they're trying to look for Rob in a lob situation um I think there were two times tonight off of dead balls or out of timeouts in which we got Rob a lob at the rim there was that one really nice play where we had some action. Um, Tatum caught it off of a I – th- I think the ball was at the top of the key. Rob screened away for him. Tatum caught the ball on the move and maybe didn't even take a dribble and threw it up for Rob over the top. That was beautiful, man. If Tatum can start making reads like that, uh, that that's just going to open up so many things for him. But Rob Rob was great, man. You know, he, Great in that this is what we've come to expect, as you said, right? Robert Williams, you can kind of just pencil in that he's going to have an impactful game with his energy. He's going to catch a couple of lobs. He's going to have between 7 and 10 rebounds, a couple blocks. He's just going to make an impact with his athleticism. But those four assists that he had, man, you know, like we've talked about this. He's such a great passer and such a great facilitator. I would love to see a little bit more offense run through him. But in a game like tonight, as we said earlier, when Jason Tatum has it going, you kind of just give the ball to Tatum and get the heck out of the way.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know that Udoka's kind of looking at Rob at the moment as he's your he's your screener roll guy, he's there for short role facilitation if you need it, and then he's gonna reside on the Dunker spot and give you some put back presence, or at least you know, if Rob Williams is in the Dunker spot and someone's driving, guys are gonna be really hesitant to help off of Rob Williams round of room they're not gonna to want to do it. So, in that way, just just his presence in that area of the floor removes the defender because then like you might stunt. You might take a step in to try and force that pick up. But nine times out of ten, if you've drove the lane and you're already around the dunker spot, the ball's not being bounced anymore anyway. You've already took your gather step and you're in your shooting motion. So, you know, if you help off, they could just flip it out to rub. We've seen that happen a few times or they'll wrap it around. Rob will come with a two-handed dunk. So I think Udoka's using him in a really good way. I'd just like to see if there was a way to just get him maybe two or three extra shot attempts a game. Because I do think that, you know, Rob is capable of being a, du- a nightly double-double machine. You know, hmm. maybe 10, 10, and 6. If you can get that yeah. production out of Rob on a daily, man, I think that, you know, you've got, like, how can I put it? Because he's not going to be your third star, but you've got, like, your highest-level impact guy in place for the next, like, three, four, five, six, seven years, however long you can keep him for on this contract, next contract. You know, 10, 10, and 6 would be phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. And we're going to need them this week, man. We um, looking ahead, we've got, we've got the Kings on Tuesday, which should be a really interesting game, um, especially as, you know, Celtics fans, as we head towards the trade deadline, we want to think about guys that we could dream on. Uh, The Kings have a whole bunch of gettable guys, Buddy Heald, uh, Harrison Barnes. If you really want to think out of the box, Tyrese Halliburton or Darren Fox. And then we got the Hawks on Friday, and then we have a rematch with the Pelicans on Saturday, so that game against the Hawks, I I don't want to pencil in a win on Tuesday against the Kings because this is the Boston Celtics, and every time we get to 500, we always end up under 500. We are back at 500 right now, um, but I'm looking ahead to that Hawks game on Friday, and I'm not going to be able to get a chance to speak with you until after that game um, next week on Sunday. So looking ahead, you know, we started off the week. We're calling today, the beginning of the week, right? So we're one and zero in this four game week. What are your expectations for for the rest of the week? Kings, Hawks, Pelicans.
0: I think it has to be three uh, and zero. I'd be happy with a two on one. You know, if you beat the Kings, you beat the Pel's. You lose against the Hawks. I think that's a it's a rough one, but I think I can live with a two on one, right? But if you look at the way the Celtics kind of match up against these guys, like the Hawks, where are the Hawks in defense right now? Are they good? Are they bad? I haven't looked at the Hawks. I in feel a like world. they're awful. <laughs> I haven't looked at them in a while. I was looking at defensive rating earlier. Bear with me. I'm looking on cleaning the glass. It's a little I'm, bit different. I'm going to guess they're year, in the so. bottom eight. Yeah, I'm assuming so. Now, like I said, this is on cleaning the glass. So it is a little bit different in terms of the way they work it out because there's a garbage time filter. So let's have a look. Atlanta are 19. No, they're not. They're 29th uh, from cleaning the glass. They're 29th in meaningful minutes for defense. So yeah. you know but they're also second for meaningful minutes in offense so they're very much it's similar a young to what, team, baby. yeah it's similar to what the Celtics faced against the the hornets you know a really high pace, run running going offense that isn't going to be able to do much defensively other than just foul or junk it up and I think that if the Celtics can lock down on defense and they can play their own game not just look for Tatum, because obviously hot games like this don't always come around. But if they can play their game, stick to the game plan, and find ways to get shots, I think they can go three and zero this week. Like, I'm confident in that. I mean, Atlanta have won three out of their last seven games. You know what I mean? Over the last two weeks, yeah. They've over the last long. two, over the last two weeks, they've been the worst defensive team in the league. So,
1: yeah, and I would like to say that you know, we should win all those games. Um, but as we just saw against the Trailblazers, yo, the Trailblazers weren't playing defense. They sat in a zone the entire game the other night and for whatever reason we just like we had three stretches at him where we didn't score buckets for over like three minutes Like i don't know what the heck happened in that trailblazers game so although the the hawks are not a good defensive team i'm not just gonna say oh we should be able to just get good offense because we haven't been able to consistently get good offense all year um so uzi in the in the comments here he says what are your thoughts on Luke Kennard? I think he could be a good piece for us and he fits the Jays timeline. Uh, I'm going to kick that to you Adam. I I don't I'm not I'm not too opinionated on Luke Kennard, but haven't loved him in the past.
0: Yeah, so I don't think he's excellent, but like I like him a lot. So the reason in my mind when um the Clippers traded for Kennard was to give them some extra ball handling, some extra shot creations and a little bit of playmaking too. And he hasn't really lived up to what they were hoping that he would because I think it was Detroit he was at before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. When he was with Detroit, he was kind of like an elite prospect as a shooter that could handle the ball and do a few different things. His game hasn't really progressed as much as what the Clippers probably hoped, but he's still capable of giving you some additional ball handling, giving you two or three assists a game if you run a tiny bit of offense, kind of like what they do with Josh Richardson now. Like, you know, if a first-side action breaks down, you can swing it over to Canada on the second side, say, go and create something, and he can space the floor for you. I wouldn't want to pay too much for him, but if there was an opportunity to add him to the team, I think that, you know, he improves that bench unit um, depending on who's going out, obviously. Uh, I do think he adds a little bit of an improvement to that bench let unit me, under let the me, caveat.
1: Let me pitch this to you, Adam. What if we traded, hear me out, Dennis Schroeder in a contract? for Luke Kennard. Would you be okay getting rid of Dennis Schroeder,
0: your favorite player? Oh man, would I be okay? I don't know. Let me Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you could send me a can of Mountain Dew and I'll be okay. I'll hey, look, he um, only
1: played 22 minutes tonight. Um, He had five assists I think in those 22 minutes. He's been good. Huh? Uh, yeah, he, he, I, I feel like as long as he's not playing 32 to 35 minutes, I'm happy with Dennis Schroeder. 15 to 20,
0: I'm cool with it. Yeah, he's been good the last few games. I tweeted it out. You know, I said, like, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but Dennis Schroeder has been incredibly impactful over the last five or six games. And I'm not going back on that. I genuinely think he's playing solid team basketball. I just think there's been large stretches of the season where that hasn't been the case. And for a guy that you're not going to retain after this season, or 95% likely not to retain after this season, makes more sense to move him on for an asset than it does to keep him and lose him for nothing.
1: And that that's was our Dennis true. Schroeder needs to get traded minute brought to you by pick a. I don't know Well, what's, what's a good company, Dunkin' Donuts, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts because Adam needs his coffee.
0: Oh, and, and Adam would love to be a Dunkin' Donuts brand ambassador. So if Dunkin' Donuts is listening, <laughs> hit me up. You give me free coffee. I'll tweet about you all day long. I'm telling you. I think that wraps us up. Everybody that's watched live, we really appreciate it. Everybody that's listening tomorrow, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. appreciate that too. me and Greg we we love it when you guys tune in we think it's excellent Uh, and we know you're all having a happy start to the day because the Celtics took care of business baby yes sir if you've enjoyed what you've watched if you if you've enjoyed watching us make sure to follow us on any podcast platform there is Apple Spotify Stitcher whatever you want to use we're on their Celtics blog if you're listening on the podcast then make sure you scroll down hit that five star button uh, if it's on Spotify, you scroll up and hit the five star button. Leave a nice little comment if your podcasting platform allows you to do so. And if you're not one for writing comments, not all of us are. Sometimes I only leave comments when I'm upset, and we don't want those comments. They make us sad. We want to be happy. Greg is going to tell you what you need to do.
1: Yeah. So the next time you're at your Dunkin' Donuts drive-through um, and you're talking to your favorite Dunkin' Donuts drive-through girl or guy, you know, or or old woman, you know, whoever's working at Dunkin' Donuts, you just let them know that. Adam, Greg, and Will bring it on the Celtics blog podcast, on the Celtics Pod blogcast, blogcast, podcast. And um, you know, just let them know that this is a pod to tune into if you are a Celtics fan and when Jason Tatum scores fifty-one points, you might, you might just get some free
0: coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. Do you fun. reckon we're gonna get a new little Bow Wow song with this time? <laughs> it's like I remember when I was when Jason Tatum scored fifty-one points. <laughs> We there we go. That should be the intro. All right, everybody, peace out. Have a good start to the week. We'll catch you again on Wednesday. I disrespect and you hate. Zion sweating, you're repenting. Y'all are testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the fame.